0: This episode of the Ottawa Entrepreneurs Podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They act as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that grow your business. For a free workshop, email them at workshop at extensionmarketing.com. Now here's your host, Pat Whalen.
1: On this episode of the podcast, I speak with Rob Smith. Rob is the owner of Green Mellon, a branding and graphic design company that has done work for some of Ottawa's largest brands. We go over a variety of topics, including why developing a brand strategy is key for your business, and the steps you need to take to ensure you are doing it properly. I hope you enjoy the show.
0: Hi, I'm Robert Smith, owner of Green Melon Inc, a local graphic design agency and branding uh, company. I'm also a local author, and I'm very excited to be here on Ottawa Entrepreneur's Podcast.
1: Great. Thanks for coming on the show, Rob.
0: Oh, My pleasure, thank you for having me here.
1: Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and Green Melon and what you're all about? Uh,
0: certainly. I am um, the creative director and owner of Green Melon. We are a branding marketing agency. Primarily, we focus on retail and consumer engagement. So in my industry, you either have B2B, business to business, or business to uh, consumer. We've chosen to focus on business to consumer. It's a very different approach. Uh, when you're doing communications and it's something that we have been doing for years and we quite enjoy.
1: Nice. Now in the B2C space, it, are you restricted just to Ottawa or do you go outside of Ottawa?
0: No, That's what's nice about the B2C space is that it's uh, even if you have Ottawa clients their reach is much more broad so we'll have clients that have products across Canada, across uh, North America, um, but also it gives us the opportunity to uh, get clients in other markets. So. Toronto, uh, Montreal, uh, New York, into the States. Um, So when you have a specialty, in our case, uh, outside of just the uh, business to consumer, we also have a specialty within that sector being food and um, natural healthy foods. Um, So that gives us an expertise. So when we go to trade shows in Toronto or places like that, that we have that calling card that we use.
1: Nice. And so how, how long has Green Melon uh, been in, in existence for?
0: Green Melon will be going into its 15th year.
1: Congratulations. Yeah, which is exciting. That is. A, that's yeah. a long time. It is. Yeah, any business it that is. can make it past that it kind of three to four year. We're, month, a, uh, we're, we're a teenager now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know how that's going <laughs> to That's great. And, yeah. and what were you doing before Green Melon?
0: Before Green Melon, I owned another agency, a much larger agency that had grown to 20 people, um, it was a B two C company. Uh, sorry, a B two B company, mm-hmm. and uh, but it was more indicative of a lot of our competition, which is essentially uh, a generalist. So whatever you needed in uh, design or graphics or branding, we would do it. Right. Uh, whereas the,
1: the, the dreaded full service agency model. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So
0: uh, you know, jack of all trades, right. master of none. Right. Really. Uh, so that's why. Um, I chose uh, to move Green Melon forward in a more focused uh, way that we could then be experts in a certain sector.
1: So when you first started Green Melon, was was it tough to have that niche carved out? Because I'm sure people would come at you with more traditional type work. Did you say no to it or did you say yes to it initially until you could really establish your brand?
0: Well, to begin with, we were lucky enough to have the farm boy experience uh, going into the uh, beginnings of Gray Melon, I had spent many years building the Farm Boy brand at that point and having the experience of retail. Um, and so having that as a calling card or as a case study, um, it allowed us to really work within that sector, uh, Farm Boy being such a, um, a great case study and a great success story locally. Um, it was a great way of opening doors for us and again, within a certain sector and a certain expertise. Um, and, and it's been very, you know, helpful. I mean, you've got Farm Boy who have uh, a lot of their own products, certainly in the store, but they also have a lot of other suppliers, food suppliers uh, coming in, and it just allowed us a, a nice uh, entry or introduction.
1: Nice. Was there a break between the two companies? Did you take a bit of time off between the two or you knew after one, okay, I want to do this, I want to do it differently and I want to get going right away?
0: Yeah, I guess the genesis for me was when I sold uh, my first company to my business partner, um, I was trying to decide what to do next. And it came down to two things. One was to either go back to school. I wanted to study industrial design at Carleton University, uh, because I'm also a, a product designer, designed products in the past. So I wanted to get more knowledge in that area, and I went so far as to meet with the dean and with a portfolio. And her um, assessment and recommendation to me was, you have the work, you have the concepts, you have the ability. All we can teach you is how to create molds to build these things, how to choose materials. And she said, really, at this point, hire one of our grads to do that for you. You're not going to gain anything more Spending four or five years with us, wow, great it was advice. really great advice, fantastic Jeez, yeah, advice. Yeah. So, but let's
1: be honest, she could have not that she would want to, but you could easily mislead somebody in that situation, or just absolutely. not take enough time to understand what your what your skill set is. And go, oh yeah, this would be a great course for you. Wow, that's that's a really interesting story.
0: Exactly. So, so I, I very much appreciated. That was a great experience, and so starting Green Melon um, was the next phase. And it was also what I knew and how I could build, I knew how to build the business and um, had some clients ready to go. So it was a quick transition doing that. And then, you know, for the first number of years of Green Melon, I pursued some product design and Hmm. trying to position Green Melon as uh, more of an idea based company. Um, which drove my accountant and lawyers crazy. <laughs> what, idea, as a, as a sure what, like how do you sell that? What I don't yeah. understand, right? Um, but that it always has been my um, uh, motive behind this company is that we are an idea company. So when uh, clients come to us, they have a problem that needs to be solved, and sometimes that problem is solved in the form of a trade show booth or in a uh, store display um, a lot of times and I think what makes us different is we'll have a client that'll call up and say oh we need you to design a kit folder and my first question is what are you using it for Mm. well we're going to a trade show and you know you give out kit folders at trade shows and I said okay you've been to trade shows right yes okay what happens you go back to your hotel room after a day at the trade show with a bag full of crap that you end up throwing in the garbage That's gonna be your kit folder. I've taken the time to look at your website and that's where people are gonna go. They do their due diligence by going through the booth, uh, the show, looking at booths and saying, that's a great company. They're automatically either on their phone or back at the uh, hotel, check your website out. And I've checked your website. How about we spend some money on your website because the experience there is not great. So it's those sorts of things. So it's, it's more strategy, problem solving than order taking.
1: So would you say that your experience with a larger company led to that? I mean, I, I'm, I'm picturing someone listening to the show right now, Rob, who let's say is out of Algonquin in the graphic design program or the advertising program, and they think they want to become a freelancer or start their own shop. They're probably going to have to take what, whatever they can get their hands on. Someone wants a kit folder. Then, you know, they're in their 20s. They're not going to tell the person that we need a strategy first. So, right. was it your experience that allowed you to have that confidence or that knowledge to to to, to explain that to someone?
0: Um, yes, um, but I also it's the evolution of our industry. So, when I started in the industry, we were very much executional. You had a kit folder. Nobody else had the opportunity or ability uh, with software or. Even back then there wasn't software you're doing it by hand um, they didn't have the skills to make the kid folder to understand the process so we had a bit of a genie in a bottle at that point um, with the introduction of adobe um, creative suite and illustrator photoshop um, the genie was out of the bottle so suddenly our industry was painted with the idea that well i've got i can buy the software i've got illustrator so i can make a logo i can design this i can design that So um, I do teach at Algonquin to the um, uh, graphic design students. That's one thing that I instill in them, is that you have certain skills. Don't rely on your mad Photoshop skills or your illustrator skills, because you're going to be going up against people who have just hacked around with the program, people who have taken weekend courses. So why have you committed to three years to compete at the same level? Our industry isn't about execution or computer skills. Our industry is about problem solving, solutions and strategies. So most of the projects that I work on, we don't get to aesthetics or choosing fonts or colors until second or third uh, stage within uh, the scope of a project. right? We spend most of our time writing down, not even in front of the uh, computer, you know, with a pad of paper and a pen, and ideating, and concepting, and researching, and understanding. And our research does not, does not include Googling, ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so it, it's,
1: you're not going to tell me you go going to the library.
0: Uh, no, but I go to places like the gallery, right. the war museum, right. yeah, malls, of course, yeah. grocery stores. Talk to people. Yeah, I, even at one point, uh, we were working with a cosmetic company, and I played the confused boyfriend going into... Um, uh, a a cosmetic store um just so i could uh look at packaging and understand it more so i was the confused boyfriend saying she likes uh foundation and she needs something and i don't know what i'm buying. what sells really well Mm. why is that Mm -hmm. what's your favorite why is that your favorite and I've done that in a number of cases in, in different scenarios, but that was probably the funniest because I had to I had to go in and and learn right. uh, the cosmetic industry from a retail level. So in my head, I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? I'm like, Perfect. I'm the confused boyfriend.
1: <laughs> well, the confused part, and it worked. Right? I well, mean, well, I could play that's that pretty easy well for that's... me. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so so uh, is is, is it, but it is it, is this also a way to, to to you know because in in your industry, you're up against. Everyone in their basement that's freelancer yes. that'll crank out a logo for whatever they can get, whatever kind of money someone's willing to pay them. Yep. So how do you overcome that objection, Rob? When um, you know when you're sitting across from a client, you're presenting your proposal. Your proposal is priced at Y, and he or she looks at you and says, "Well, I know someone. My." whoever can do this for me for you know a tenth of that price so yep. did you then have to go into your explanation about the, the strategy and, and 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 the thinking behind it
0: definitely and again that's where case studies become important so every job that we do there's a story with it so i can tell the story of farm boy and going to upper canada village for two days and photographing it and experiencing upper canada village that was the blueprint to what we see now as farm boy and to this day that um pdf and and that proposal and presentation that i did is still being used so it's it's showing them and demonstrating them how this is a value-add and at no point am I talking about this was done in Adobe Illustrator and this way and that question never comes up because they're always enamored about the story and the process and how it got to the result uh, price is also a factor so we'll give them a price and they're like why is it that much well it's that much for these reasons And this is the other reason, the agency I had before was 20 people. So we would take in volume, right? So it was about quantity. Um, Whereas now, uh, the agency that I have now, Green Melon, we've maintained a small number of staff. So we're six people, we will not go over 10 people. I I followed the tribe concept Mm -hmm. of business, where you only grow as large as the area around you can support. Um, And once you grow larger than that, then you break off into pieces, much like the cavemen and tribes do, where they can only sustain a certain population of their group, given the area, you know, fauna, animals, uh, water sources, and things like that, and any number above that, suddenly they suffer. So they would break off a certain amount of people within their tribe to move somewhere else where there is more food, uh, more water. Um, so that everybody thrives. So that's the business model that I'm using with Green Melon. So that um, I we only engage with clients when they're ready. And I interview clients like I interview staff. For example, uh, we've done a number of breweries, and I was approached. Uh, a year ago, by another brewery, said, We really like the work that you do, and we've seen the stuff that you've done for other breweries. We would like you to uh, do some work for us. And I said, Okay, great. What kind of beer are you making? And they said, Well, we're making an IPA. And I declined to work with them. And it's not because um, of who they were or what they were doing, it's just my knowledge of the indie brew industry is that. Everybody is making an IPA. So in my head, I'm thinking, do we need another IPA in the world? Like, what more can I do for that? Now, a number of months later, another brewery approached us. And I said, okay, what beer are you making? And they said, oh, we're making a Kolsch. I said, perfect. Let's work together because an indie Kolsch is still unique. There are some, but not nearly as many as the IPAs out there. So for me, it was like, okay, you're a good person. You've got a good business background as a lawyer. Um, You know what you're doing. You're uh, uh, co-packing with a good brewery. Everything checks, and you've got a product that's interesting. Now, when we first gave him the price, he was a little (laughs) taken back and said, I can't really afford this right now. No problem. A year later, I got a phone call from him saying, okay, we're ready to go. And I said, okay, what changed? He said, well, LCBO loves our beer, hates our packaging, and won't put us in the store until we change our packaging. I said, perfect, now you're ready. Nice. I wouldn't have wanted to work with him the year before because he wasn't ready. It's really important that the clients are engaged and that they see the value. So to your point, uh, what about going up against a freelancer and things like that? And when money comes into question, it costs what it costs. I'm not gonna discount, I'm not gonna change our numbers. I've done our numbers, so I know what it costs us to do business, and I know what kind of profit we need to make. And I know what value we bring to the table. So that's all figured into our, our costs on jobs. And we aren't, by any stretch of the imagination, the most expensive, but we certainly aren't the cheapest. Right. So it's very important when a client looks at the prices and say, okay, yes, it's a little bit more than we thought, but we see the value we see what you bring to the table
1: so i'm curious you mentioned the guy who had the uh, who had the ipa Mm -hmm. and yes there's lots of ipas out there there's lots of cultures as well but but Mm -hmm. if he would have said to you i've got an ipa but here's what makes mine different is that enough for you to say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna potentially take this guy on
0: this episode of the ottawa entrepreneurs podcast is brought to you by extension marketing extension marketing acts as your virtual marketing department designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies to grow your business Email them at workshop at extension marketing.com to procure free one hour marketing consultation to grow your business. Absolutely. I mean, there's no unique product out there. That's what everybody has to get, uh, get their heads around, particularly entrepreneurs. One thing that always bothers me is when I sit down with, and as I said, I interview potential, um, clients. Uh, When I sit down with them and I say, so who's your competition? I can't tell you how many times the answer is, oh, we don't have competition, which is complete and utter bullshit. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that mentality that you have to be aggressive, you've got to get out there, you have competition and chances are at this point, they're better than you right now. So we need to elevate you. If you don't have that mindset, you're going to fail because you have to know what's in front of you. And so many clients, like, well, we don't have, well, you know, after we do our research, like, well, here's a list of 10. And I really didn't try that hard. But here's 10 that I can say right away you have. And here's how we need to um, go uh, up against them. So, is that advice you'd give
1: to new entrepreneurs? Yes. So someone comes to you, let's just say you're, you're doing, uh, let's just put, put, take your design hat off for a second yep. and just put on your business owner hat. You've been yep. doing this a long time. Someone comes to you with a new product. Would you suggest to them right away, okay, study the competition?
0: No, the first thing they need to do is they need to do a SWOT analysis. Very first thing. Mm. Um, and if you don't, then do one right away. Right. Um, I was listening to a podcast um, about a business owner who um and this is going to be interesting and some people are going to freak out a bit but he said i i don't business plans are a waste of time and you know went went on and on about you know it's they're never accurate blah 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 things like that which i'll be honest my perspective i can kind of agree with depends on your industry though in my case i didn't do that but for anybody starting out you do have to do a swot analysis to really understand where you fit in the industry, who you're up against, what's your threats, what's your opportunities, um, and share this. This is something that I request from my clients, because I want to know. My favorite part of a SWOT analysis is the, um, you've got, sorry, we can edit this, right? Yeah. (laughs) 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 Um, Because I'm going through it in my head.
1: Yeah, take your time? It's all good. Uh, threats. Sorry. Right. Okay. Yeah.
0: So when I look at a SWOT analysis, threats is the thing that I focus in. Because for me, my job is to take the threats and turn them into opportunities. I don't care about the other ones because a lot of it is na- navel-gazing. Oh, we're good at this, and we can do this, and okay, fine, that's great. I need to know what you're good at and things like that. But really, at the end of the day, for me to do what I do, I want to know your threats and I'm going to change. I'm going to move those into opportunities, and then that's what's marketing to me is about, and getting your message out there uh, because it's so crowded and it's so busy. So that I want to know. And then the other thing, and I don't know what it is, but when I ask the question, "What sort of marketing budget do you have? What kind of what have you put aside?" Well, I haven't really thought about that. Well, bullshit. Yes, you have. Yeah. Everybody's got a budget, and I don't want to play a tennis game where we're just batting back, how about this much? How about that much? How about this much? It's all bullshit. So it costs what it costs. You've got the money or you don't have the money. You want to make the impact or you don't want to make the impact. That's the bottom line. You can't make your product without buying equipment. So you're not gonna do that whole bartering back and forth with equipment. Equipment costs what it costs. So does marketing, so does branding. And by the way, when you're considering an exit strategy, Your equipment is used and very little value. Your brand is where your money is. That's your intellectual property. You look at Burt's Bees, I use them as an example all the time.
1: Love the Burt's Bees stories. Okay,
0: Burt's Bees was bought by Clorox for a crazy amount of money. Clorox could have easily taken their lip gloss reverse-engineered it, made it probably even better in larger quantities, get it to a larger market, and really hit the market. But what they were missing is the brand awareness. They bought Burt's Bees for the brand, not for their ability to make lip gloss. And that's where your money is. So you've got to really consider that. And unfortunately, for the longest time, marketing, branding, and those elements were always put into costs like buying furniture for your office and rent and things like that, and not as an invested part of your business, which is what it is. If it's done correctly, it's gonna be very valuable.
1: So, so what, what advice do you give to the person that's starting a business that may not have the budget to spend on a proper branding uh, marketing exercise? Is there, is there something that they can do themselves to at least start thinking this way?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, they can do, I would say not in the execution phase, but again, doing a lot of the front end work, realizing that there's competition, really addressing who that competition is. It's all about self-awareness. It's like your personal self-awareness. It's your business self-awareness. What are we good at? What are we not good at? You've got to look at things like, again, things that we consider is what's your price point? So we're looking at, uh, for example, we're working with a cider company right now. We're making a premium cider. So just right there, that defines how we're going to execute this. I haven't even looked at anything. I haven't researched. But the fact that you want to sell a premium cider tells me how we need to approach this. Now I need to know, what do you mean by premium? What do you intend to charge per bottle? So that when I go to the LCBO and I look at what everybody else is charging, let's say $4.99 for a bottle of cider or a can of cider. Um, no, I'm going to be charging $9.99. Okay, perfect. So you're going to be charging $9.99. That now tells me that we are not going to be in a can. We're going to be in a bottle. We're going to be in a beautiful looking bottle. We might want to up the volume inside. We might want to up the alcohol content. Like this, These decisions impact how you're perceived by the consumer and how we're going to market it. So Right there, in, in a very short amount of time, my client knew what he was doing. I want a premium cider. So that opened our doors. Now we're going to go this route. You do realize we're going to be doing bottles? Yes, absolutely. I've looked at Prosecco, for example, and he started showing me samples of fine wines that he likes and things like that. Perfect. So that was that is an example of how this is a collaborative process. It has to be collaborative. So the client. looking at entrepreneurs who want to go in this is to be really aware of who you are as a company how you want to be perceived what's your value uh, what you're going to charge and these sorts of things and that will help you know um, short circuit the system i guess in a sense it just makes there a lot less preliminary work on our end that we need to do we're still going to do research but at least then we know what we're hitting at. It's like going to a car dealership and saying, "Yeah, I want to buy a car. How much is a car? Uh, do you want a Volkswagen or a Porsche?" <laughs> <laughs> right? So they both have four wheels. They both have, they both have a body. And they a have motors, wheels. and they'll right, get you there. Right, right. How do you want to get there? Right. What options do you want? So it's very similar to that.
1: Nice. So switch gears here a little bit. You've recently written a book that is kind of outside of what you currently do for a living. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and about what you're, you know, how you uh, ended up down that path?
0: Yeah. So the book is called the Frankenstein condition and it deals with self-identity in this world of social media. Um, we're constantly inundated by people on our Facebook feed and various other social media, Instagram and that. And you know, the majority of people online are always posting the best, you know when they look their best when they're eating the best food when they're out in the best places like it's always great stories right and we all know that behind that there's other crap that they're not talking about problem is we see this constant feed and say you've got even even as little as 50 friends you're going to see 50 great stories a day most of us have a lot more than 50 so we start absorbing this um and then we start questioning ourselves like well shit you know there's a new car there's they're eating out at this restaurant they just bought a new house and and we start questioning our own um self-identity in our own direction like well shit they're only 30 and i'm 40 and they're already making this kind of money or they're already a partner in their business and that and we're not taking into account any of the reality in that Yes, the person that just made partner at 30, they don't have a family and they're dedicating all of their time to their business um, and they've had to make sacrifices. And, you know, we might be in a situation where, well, I've got a family and I've had to take a job like this so I can support the family. And this is taking me where I want to go. It's just going to take a little bit longer and I need to focus, right? So the Frankenstein condition talks about how we manufacture. Uh, this persona that we then judge ourselves against much like the monster you know victor frankenstein's concept and and drive was idealistic and positive he wanted to fix death he wanted to create something that we would have control over our death and that good people wouldn't die so very idealistic but and in doing that he created this a creature that the parts that he gathered were all the best parts that he could find around him So the idea was what he would end up with would be a perfect human and he would learn more and then he could then Use this moving forward and as we know it went horribly wrong mm-hmm. And he created a monster an abomination, and that's what we do. We just don't do it physically It becomes this thing that we judge ourselves against and it might as well be physical because its effects are strong and they create depression and they create anxiety. Um, and it's, it's very real. Mm-hmm. You know, we're now seeing our first generation uh, in their 20s who grew up with that and we're seeing the effects of it. Um, so the book is my experience going through this, how I've diffused um, and taken apart you know, my monster or monsters, um, they don't go away, but being aware that they are there allows you to take them for what they are. So you'll find yourself suddenly stopping going, like, okay, that's my monster. Yeah. I'm going to dial that back. Mm. Um, and, and now
1: the book is beautifully illustrated. Can, oh, you, can you, you speak to the, to the illustrator and, and a little bit of that story? Sure.
0: Um, so, uh, the first edition of my book is illustrated by Bernie Wrightson, uh, who's best known for his work with Stephen King. He's done illustrated versions of most of Stephen King's books. Uh, he also designed the creatures in the original Ghostbusters, and he himself created the Swamp Thing, that's his creation. So a comic book artist, uh, an incredible illustrator, his work is, is amazing. So he took seven years um, and dedicated himself to illustrating Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the original text and the illustrations are works of art. And uh, as an artist and a child and into horror as a kid, uh, I was very influenced by his work. So while I was writing my book, I had his illustrated um, Frankenstein in front of me as inspiration. So when it came time to design the book, I needed to find an illustrator. And I have lots of illustrator friends. So I was, it was a matter of, okay, who am I going to use? And I stopped and thought, well, and this is one of the things I talk about in the book. Um, well, why don't I just reach out to him? I mean, if he says no, that's the worst case scenario, I'm back to where I started anyways. So five emails later, he said, yeah, go ahead use my illustration. You must have been shot. I was blown away. Because I assume
1: you had no previous connection to him, correct? Not at all.
0: I defined him through social media and reached out to him through uh, it was either Twitter or Facebook I can't remember which one Uh, got his email address connected with him and then we started speaking by email but it only took five five emails and he said yep go ahead and use it so I managed to get the rights for 500 of my first edition books all electronic media and advertising that I would need uh, for the book Um, now This is where karma kicks in and and however you want to talk about it, uh, divine intervention or the universe or whatever. I was struggling at the time. My monster was telling me that I'm not a writer. I didn't do very well in English in school and what right did I have to be writing a book? So I was really struggling with that. And to counter that, uh, as a designer, I started doing layouts, choosing fonts, picking paper for the book and things like that, that propelled the project forward um, and diminished the monster saying, you can't do this because those are things that I do know very well. So I introduced elements of things I'm confident in into something that I'm not confident in to propel it forward. Um, so suddenly I got Bernie Wrightson saying, this is really cool. Yes, use my illustrations for it. So that was the universe saying, okay, you need to finish this book. One week later, he passed away. Jeez.
1: After giving you permission?
0: Yeah. One week after that, I was watching the last episode of The Walking Dead season seven, and the screen went black and it said, This episode dedicated to Bernie Wrightson. Wow. So I finally looked up, you know, well, it was the ceiling, but, you know, (laughs) metaphorically the sky, and went, Okay, I get it. I will finish the book. That's and, a great story. And honestly, that is what... Yeah. That whole experience was, okay, fuck it, I'm doing the book.
1: Yeah, 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 nice. You know, nice. And,
0: and there's no reason, there is absolutely no reason to not write this book. Yeah. And so I did, produced it, um, self-published it, uh, did it through my company, uh, worked with local printers and that, and it's been awesome. It's been so great. Congratulations. To, yeah, to the point where I'm writing the second book and a um, a second book in that series, and then a second book... That's similar in theme, but not Frankenstein.
1: Nice. Where, where can our listeners find out more about, well, we're going to get back to Green Mountain in a second, here? we're almost at sure. a time, but yeah. where can listeners find out more about the about, about the book, and where can they get it?
0: Okay, so the book, uh, I'm starting. I'm working right now on getting it into chapters, coals, and places like that. I'll also have um, Amazon shortly. Uh, but you can go to my website, which is frankensteincondition.com, and there you'll see uh, reviews uh, content you can buy the book from the website right now directly from me okay. um, there will be a um, Amazon button shortly so if you're prime and that you'll be able to get it through that um, I'm finishing off the ebook so there will be a kobo etc versions that you can get and I'm also uh, in the middle of recording the audiobook so there will be an audiobook as well
1: Nice. So, on the Green Melon side, where can our listeners find out more about Green Melon and some of the work that you do?
0: Okay, so Green Melon, you can also follow us uh, through social media, but the main place would be to go to greenmeloninc.com. So that's G R E E N M E L O N I N C.com. And there you'll see some samples of the work. For example, we did some work with the Warner Brothers and um, DC Comics on Superman. Um, so you'll see some examples of work that we've done. You'll also be able to connect with us on social media, send us an email, um, send us some love, We like hearing nice things. (laughs) Um, and we'll be putting up a new website shortly.
1: Great. Thanks for coming on the show, Rob. Appreciate your time.
0: Oh, thank you very much. This was excellent.
1: Thanks.